are listening to Vueltas y Revueltas, the cycling podcast at the Vuelta España, powered by Super Sapiens, energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Stage 7, today we are in Balcón de Alicante. Sí, sí, yo creo que el bala, eh, calidad le sobra y ya, ya ve que con los años que tiene y él pues siempre, nunca deja de sorprender, ¿no? Yo creo que lo teníamos siempre en las posiciones delanteras, nos daba confianza, tranquilidad. Well, Daniel, who was that? And equally importantly, what was he saying? Before that, Rich, you should really ask me where I am. Where are you, Daniel? Well, I'm at the Vuelta, Rich, um, just outside Alicante, um, just at the bottom of the, the final climb today. And to go back to your original question, that was Superman Lopez, who was, well, by association, an unfortunate protagonist in today's seventh stage, wasn't he? By, Well, by virtue of of his association with Alejandro Valverde who was kind of the tragic the tragic figure of Certainly today's was. stage um, wasn't he yeah Movistar the the story of the day probably um, almost almost won the stage as well but uh, a, a rare Scottish victory in a Grand Tour today but we'll get on to that a bit later on we're with Lionel Burney as well hello Lionel hello chaps well Dan you're at, you're at the foot of the climb now and obviously fans were not allowed up there it looked absolutely spectacular very very tough indeed um you drove up it earlier didn't you You posted a video uh, uh driving up the climb what what was it like up there and what was the road like and what was it like at the top well it was really it was a bit of a throwback to last year and the, the covid season um the, th the three grand tours last year when we didn't really have any spectators on any of the mountaintop finishes in three major tours because of well because of covid and um, this year i think as we discussed yesterday or today there was going to be no crowds on the Balcón de Alicante climb because of the risk of forest fires. And we also talked about yesterday that the, the road having been newly tarmacked, it was really more like a, a bike path, um, but you know, a beautiful climb if you ever find yourself in the area and you know, perfect for a road bike. So it was... A road bike well, was with very low gears. Yeah, yeah, and it was one of those climbs that sort of went up in stages. There were some steep ramps and then some false flats, and yeah, very eye-catching, very fetching uh, finale, and quite sombre as a lot of the, the summit finishes were last year because of the lack of crowds, really, and all the more so at the moment when Alejandro Valverde actually. Um, decided that he was going to abandon the race there was a sort of spontaneous round of applause went up among the the soigneurs and press officers and well maybe a couple of spanish journalists and tv reporters who were well we were the only only people up here up there really fascinating i mean it does well we'll, we'll talk about valverde in this episode i'm sure um you know a divisive figure certainly over the years but we spoke about him with mitch docker during our tour de france coverage and Uh, Mitch spoke about how popular he is, how respected he is in the in the peloton. Um, so that reflected, I guess, in that reaction. And, and Rich, there was a real pathos. I don't know whether you would agree, you chaps, to the shot, the particular shot through the the pine trees of mm. Valverde off his bike, being comforted by Chente um, Chente Garcia. Acosta, who, you know, a lot of the people watching will have got to know 
um, through the, the Movistar Netflix documentary, of which more later. But there was a real a poignancy to that to that image and it was one of those serendipitous moments in cycling when you know probably due to practical reasons that was the only place the camera could be but it, it just so happened to be a, a, a very powerful image well it was because it was through the trees wasn't it you felt like you were sort of intruding on private grief it was a very intimate moment between them um and you know had, had we had the close-up it wouldn't have had the same the same pathos, the same power as it had, um, snatched in the way that it was through the trees. Yeah, we'll get on to all that, won't we? But um, we've got a, a, well, you've been following the stage winner quite closely over the last few years, I think, Daniel, you know a bit about him. Um, so lots to talk about. What 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 is the story? What is the tale of the Atapa, please, Lionel? Well, Rich, you said Movistar, the big story of the day. I would agree that it's the joint story of the day, really, because DSM played an absolute... Storer. Storer of the day. Didn't they? <laughs> yeah, storer of the day. Very good. Yeah, the stage, only a short 152 kilometres to that final climb, the Balcon de Alicante. Over six categorised climbs. They were climbing right from the start. A really difficult day and a, a big break that shaped the day. But yeah, DSM played a blinder. Movistar lost Alejandro Valverde. Felix Groschartner all, almost took the red jersey. And some dangerous riders have climbed into the top ten overall. Um, DSM got five of their men into that break, including Roman Bardet, who I must admit I thought was not going to be long for this welter after his crash a couple of days ago but as you say it's the Aussie although are you claiming him for Scotland Michael Storer oh, oh, oh yeah we, we've we've claimed people on <laughs> flimsier grounds than than, than having lived in Glasgow for a few put months put a kill on this welter stage <laughs> oh fantastic did he wear a kill on the podium uh, Daniel <laughs> a, a Tammy you could probably get a story in one of the Scottish papers suggesting that he might represent Scotland yeah, at the Commonwealth Games. Double page spread. <laughs> but yeah, it was DSM's first Grand Tour stage victory of the season. And it was a brilliant one because he forced or made all of the important splits throughout the day. As far as 100k out, he was pushing on with his teammate Chris Hamilton. Then he attacked again with about 50k to go. Then he had to mark a couple of dangerous moves by Pavel Sivakov of Ineos Grenadiers, our audio diarist who was in there. And at one point, there was a, a front three of Stora, El Siv and Lawson Craddock. There was a little bit of beef as well because uh, Sivakov had a mechanical problem, some kind of issue with his chain or gears. And uh, Stora just coincidentally happened to attack right after that had happened, forcing Sivakov to fight back up to him. Wow, coincidentally, I'm, I'm, while, <laughs> while turning his head and looking down the road. I'll tell you what, yeah. El Siv had the, had the bearing of El Sid, as I imagine El Sid to have looked if... Uh, as he as he sort of bore down on Storer, clearly absolutely raging, um, he looked like a he looked like a warlord at that point. And, and, I thought. and back back in Burgos, we did sort of settle, or I settled on DSM as the most likely place for El Cid, the original master of the battlefield, to <laughs> yeah. to find his niche as a director sportif. <laughs> I was trying to sort of diffuse any, uh, you know, any tension between the two, pour a bit of cold water on the on the flames. But uh, yeah, just I mean, just coincidental. Perhaps Stora was planning to attack at that particular moment. Who knows? I mean, that wasn't the end of it, was it? Because Carlos Verona of Movistar and Andreas Kron of Lotto Sudal, they bridged up to the front group of, uh, by then it was Stora and Sivakov. Verona went clear for a while and that was a sort of springboard for Stora to make his final attack with around about three kilometres to go. And 
there were some very very steep sections on that climb he was at walking pace almost came to a halt around one of the corners um, but a, a, a really important victory for DSM Verona was second Sivakov third and his sort of consolation prize is that he is the new king of the mountains what about the general classification type riders well Hugh Carthy was really out of the GC picture after getting dropped yesterday he was uh, dropped very early on this stage and has abandoned the welter and then the Valverde crash 45 kilometers to go Movistar started to make moves at the front of the GC group and Valverde actually got away from the Roglic group uh, with uh, Richard Carapaz and Adam Yates and then a couple of kilometers later on a what looked like a sort of downhill gently sweeping right hand bend it looked like his front wheel hit either a crack in the road or Richard you thought a tree root sticking up in the road very difficult to tell from the TV pictures but that sent him across the road flying uh, over the barrier and down a, a, a bit of a drop um, fortunately he was able to get up um, but he was holding his collarbone he did ride on for another seven or eight kilometers but pulled out of the race obviously realized that he wasn't going to get much further interestingly as soon as Valverde had crashed his teammate Miguel Angel Lopez attacked um, but generally it was a fairly cagey day for the leaders um, and it wasn't really until the, the the time gaps were all settled on the line that it was obvious just how close Roglic had come to losing the red jersey today it was under threat from some of the riders in the break uh, Jan Polance of UAE Team Emirates was the virtual leader for a lot of the day but as I said at the start, it was Bora Hansgrohe's Felix Grosschartner who has moved up 13 places to second overall. Just a, a time bonus or two away from Roglic. Eight seconds is the gap. Uh, uh, the rest of the overall has just been infiltrated by riders from the break. Polance is up to fifth. Jack Haig of Bahrain Victorious is up to seventh. Um, uh, uh, good news for them because Mikael Lander leaked a little bit of, uh, more time. Roglic's teammate Sepp Kuss is up to eighth. Um, and Roglic might not be too concerned about all of that but far from clarifying the GC picture as I thought would happen today that breakaway has made things all look a little bit more complicated at the top end of GC You are listening to Vueltas y Revueltas the cycling podcast at the Vuelta España powered by Super Sapiens energy management for committed athletes and coaches Still guessing on fueling? Not sure what or when to eat and drink on rides that matter? Never again. Optimize your fueling strategy with real-time glucose data, actionable insights, and personalized analytics. We're here to help you achieve your performance goals. Go to supersapiens.com for more on how to track your energy levels and fuel for success. Thank you very much to Super Sapiens for sponsoring the cycling podcast. If you want to find out more about them, go to supersapiens.com. We're going to hear from Asker Jurkendrup, who is the head of nutrition and sports science at Jumbo Visma. He's a Dutchman and he's been working for the team for a few years now. And for the past year, he's also been working with Super Sapiens and the Jumbo Visma riders are using super sapiens to monitor their glucose round the clock they can't use it in competition at the moment but at all other times when they're training uh, at training camps and also overnight they are gaining insights into how the body is processing food uh, what the glucose levels are doing because it's giving Aska and other sports scientists an insight into the body's recovery ready for another day's racing so let's hear from Aska Jurkendrup 
of course, it, it's been important for a very long time. It's just that recently the technology um, has allowed us to, uh, to actually do this ourselves now. And that's the, that's the big change really that has happened. The, uh, the glucose monitors have become available for athletes. And um, now we suddenly get insights into something that we knew was important before, but we can actually um, attach numbers to this now. And uh, so it's, it's um, a really interesting new tool that we have. I got interested in this a very long time ago. Um, so like probably early 90s that, uh, that I was doing my PhD. And this is where um, I started to look into the role of glucose and the role of various substrate for uh, metabolism. Um, and then I continued a career into um, in, in that area. So um, I've been interested in it for a very long time, but glucose, the actual glucose monitors is something that I started using myself um, only about a year ago. And I have to say that by using it myself, I still, I've still learned a lot because you get immediate feedback in response to things that you do, in response to your training, in response to uh, what you eat. So, and this is uh, information you don't always get with research uh, studies. So it's, uh, yeah, it's been really interesting and uh, also a very steep learning curve. Well, it was certainly a hotly anticipated stage today, wasn't it, chaps? And a, a very uh, hotly anticipated final climb up to the, the finish. Um, and as you said, Lionel, the the GC picture's been clouded, I suppose. It reminds me of a bit of a, a Giro, you know, where a, a big break goes up the road and some pretty handy riders find themselves nudged back up into the top positions, you know, Sepp Kuss, Jack Haig, those types of riders, um, suddenly now right back in it, um, which sets sets up a really interesting uh, couple of weeks on the Vuelta, especially with some questions, I think, around Roglic's Jumbo-Visma team. But at the start this morning, Daniel, you spoke to two of the riders who are still very much in it, Roglic in the red jersey still, of course, and Egan Bernal still in the white jersey. I did, Rich. A big day. It was. It was always going to be a big day for both of them. And yeah, we were keen to assess or hear from them. Uh, in Bernal's case, how confident he was feeling, and in Roglic's case, who and what well he expected to pose problems today, and particularly what he made of Movistar so far in this race. It's difficult already when you are at your 100%. So if you are not at your best, it's, it's a bit uh, more difficult. But. We will see. Uh, I'm feeling good, uh, but uh, it's just the first week. Uh, today will be like uh, the hardest stage so far, so we will see how, how I'm feeling now. And I think I just need to, to try to, to recover every day and just wait for my opportunity if, if it arrives. It's quite some climbs today. Uh, the, yeah, the final again, I, the final climb, I don't know it, but uh, anyway. First, we have to start with uh, with the start, with the beginning. It's super hard. Uh, I think it will be a big battle. So yeah, the first uh, finish will be already then after after the first climb at 16k, uh, and then uh, yeah, uh, we go till the end uh, from the from the start. How do you like having uh, three Movistar guys breathing down your neck? What do you expect from them? Uh, attack, huh? Uh, attacks, a lot of attacks, uh, and uh, yeah, for sure will be uh, fun to watch. Then uh, going up the last, uh, the last steep climb. In the, in the in the next days, yeah, they are all big champions. So I cannot, uh, I'm not on the place to say uh, these or this guy. I have to be uh, 
aware of uh, yeah each and every one they showed uh, that they can do a uh, three week races so uh have to focus on myself and do my thing well that was Egan Bernal and Primoz Roglic at the start in Gandia this morning Daniel but you had a follow up question a very important I mean this is this is the sort of journalism you're renowned for this is what you, you, follow you up chaps question. pay me the big bucks for yeah you had a follow up question for Roglic well you can hardly mention Movistar um, their tactics their strategies without mentioning the now infamous documentary that, that we mention pretty much every day but I was curious to know whether Primoz Roglic has seen El Dia Menos Pensado. Primoz, have you watched the Movistar documentary on Netflix? Not really, if I'm honest. It's good, you should watch it. It's very entertaining. Thank you. I, I, yeah, then I will check it. I think I saw the, the first one, but yeah, the second one, I, I didn't uh, check it yet. Oh, the second one's even better. An enigmatic response there from Roglic. What, what do you reckon? I, I think he's watched it several times. It sounded like it, didn't it? He I said, think, no, I haven't seen it, knows, to be honest. He knows it off by heart. Uh, yeah, I, don't know. A, I don't know. I think he's still working his way through Better Call Saul, and he'll get to it eventually. But, you know, there's five seasons of other things to watch on Netflix for him first. I don't know. Yeah, he could be right. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I don't know how I picture Primoz Roglic spending his leisure time. <laughs> um, but uh, it was... Uh, I mean, you know, I, 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 that those two series have shown Movistar looking quite hapless at times, and the great use the word tragedy, Daniel. We don't don't use that word lightly, I, I guess. And it, it, what happened to Alejandro Valverde today was very sad, very sad for him, but also very sad for the race. I felt because um, he he just attacked. He looked good, and he. Have, let's not forget, you know, Movistar had riders placed second, third. And fourth on GC, they were in a really, really strong position. Um, Valverde had attacked, he'd got, got away um, with Carapaz. It didn't look decisive, but clearly it was the start of something. It was the start of Movistar executing a plan, and it was a very good plan. You know, Valverde um, the, the, you know, still had two teammates ahead of him on, on GC. He's the guy that should be lighting the match and standing back, and that's what he was doing. And to see him go down and so badly hurt and then pulling out, is very it's sad to see any rider leaving the race in those circumstances but it's also sad for the race and for the the battle that we're hoping for over the next couple of weeks yeah we could we could tell there was some kind of plan being activated we didn't know exactly what it was and in fact carlos verona um, shed a bit of light on that after the finish we'll hear from him in a second but just generally so far in this race Movistar have been impressive haven't they and you can almost tell um, or maybe this is us who have seen that the infamous documentary we're projecting things but they, they've looked slicker this year at the Vuelta particularly we know they've got Pachivila in the team car they've had a change of personnel there and they've looked they've looked confident and confident as well in this partnership that they've got or it was a trident in fact with Valverde um, Superman and Mass until until now N- not too many false moves I know, you know everything they do now provokes mirth on social media but I thought they'd ridden really well until now and when Valverde made that move um, there was obviously something brewing certainly in the in the team car and as we found out as i said from carlos verona up the road where he and nelson oliveira were were waiting but first after the finish chaps uh, carlos verona he commented on what 
Valverde retiring from the race or being forced to abandon the race would mean for the team going forward. And then he went on to discuss exactly what that tactic was going to be today. Yeah, I think for us this is difficult because at the end Alejandro was always over or right to be there with them. And I think now we have to sit down and think about the new strategy because for sure we had to change some approach to the race. But yeah, this is really tomorrow. Yes, now I hope Alejandro is not so bad that he can recover fast and we have him back with us as soon as possible. When? Uh, the plan was to be there for a move from Valverde and we got the orders to Oliveira and me to stop. First Oliveira in the climb and me in the top. And then we knew the crash of Alejandro, so they told me to wait till the end. I was there waiting, waiting, waiting. And then at 10K to go, they asked me how I was going, if I was waiting for the guys or I go for the stage and I asked permission to go for the stage. And yeah, thanks to the team for that. I did my best. Uh, I knew that I wasn't the best climber in the breakaway, so I had to anticipate, and it's what I tried to do, like attack as early as possible. And the plan was almost perfect, no? I think I could drop all the climbers before the really hard part, except Storer, that was st still there with me. And then when he attacked, I just couldn't respond because it was twisty for me. So, Carlos, when Alejandro crashed, that was when he was accelerating to try to join you? Was that the idea? And exactly. exactly. I, 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 I don't know much because I was just there and the information was a little bit confused. But yeah, the plan was like he was attacking, Nelson was waiting for him first, and then it was my turn. And then, like, everything was there in standby. And yeah, it would be nice to dedicate the stage to Alejandro. It was not possible, but I think he... He will be happy with our performance for sure. I hope we can do a good vuelta to dedicate him a, a nice podium or even the victory for him. That was Carlos Verona, second on the stage of of course today. Um, how did Carlos? Ver how did a guy called Verona not win on the balcony <laughs> of Alicante? Yeah, very good. Um, I saw that. I saw that tweet earlier, Daniel. Um, my yeah, tweet I mean. There. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, you said very few missteps. I mean, you you mentioned it briefly in your um, your tale of the etapa, Lionel. But there was a moment after Valverde um, after Valverde's crash where Lopez, Superman, sorry, did get away in a in a small group with Roglic, and he was to to use a Sean Kellyism pressing on um, with Roglic there and Enric Mas not there. And I and I just wondered about that. That didn't seem to be all that sensible uh, a tactic at that at that pr precise moment and and I wonder as well about the influence the loss of the influence of Valverde off the bike as well as on the bike and in the race you know because he is such a talisman for that team and again watching the Netflix series you do get a sense from those about how everything really revolves around him I mean they, they miss him or they'll miss him on the bike but they will miss his presence as well, won't they? Um, in the race and and off the bike as well, I imagine. I mean, what's the suggestion there, Rich? That that Lopez, within seconds of Valverde's crash, was was already, you know, executing something that was off message, off plan, or? Well, it didn't seem that sensible to be uh, putting putting such an effort into a little move of four riders that had Roglic in it when the, he's the guy that they're presumably trying to beat. Um, yeah, I mean that that didn't seem to make a lot of sense. I think you make those efforts if you manage to distance Roglic. Yeah, especially that wonder, far from the finish, you know, over forty kilometers from the finish. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's going to be interesting, isn't it? You know, Valverde is, you know, the senior man in the team probably by some years, um, but not just in in Double. not just in age, but in in uh, you know in in stature, in respect, uh, you know. Uh, 
they, they will obviously miss him and it does it does make the the, the mass lopez um alliance look a little less um a little less comfortable perhaps i mean they're both going to be ambitious they've both been on the podium in grand tours before they both think that, that they're the leader and uh, it's going to be it's going to be the big challenge for them to keep them working to the same script and i just wonder you know i was watching the way ineos grenadiers were riding and just seeing how quiet egan banali is he he really is just following roglic here there and everywhere whilst adam yates is the one doing a bit of pressing on today and i wonder just just because of um sort of past strategies from the team uh that was team sky uh, now ineos of course you know, saving their chief card for the really important stages towards the back end of the race. And yeah, wonder how Movistar will manage to balance up not just the ambitions of the um, two joint leaders, I guess, um, but also, you know, will they be will they be able to assess who actually is going best? You know, they'll, they'll both want to they'll both want to be in the picture as long as possible. Um, it's going to be fascinating to see how they manage that over the, the, the next big mountain stages. Finished second in the same Grand Tour. Uh, sorry, they've, they've both finished on the podium in the same Grand Tour. Only 2018 Vuelta, they were second and third behind Simon Yates. One thing that occurs to me, chaps, is that Roglic has been conspicuously uh, economical so far. He was he's very economical. He looked very economical after the finish tonight as well because um, he seemed to be stuck up the mountain. I don't know whether he was waiting for anti-doping, but he just found himself a lovely spot overlooking the, the valley um, feeding down to Alicante and he'd found himself a opened up Netflix on his, <laughs> on his mobile <laughs> and he was he was almost reclining on a bench um, being f- I'm not sure he was being fed grapes by the Jumbo Visma <laughs> press officer but he looked very <laughs> relaxed indeed but he has been very economical um, which is obviously a good thing particularly bearing in mind that we all we all sort of subscribe to this theory that he's he has faded in previous grand tours um, but on the other hand the longer this race goes on the more you would think Egan Bernal will grow into it and and Roglic's sort of pattern his modus operandi in grand tours has tended to be to take out an early advantage and to defend that advantage and to sort of um, to, to fall over the line at the end and and that may not be the case this time I just wonder in his mind whether there's a, a chunk of the race maybe a couple of mountain stages maybe the ones in Extremadura where he, he will feel that he needs to really sink the dagger and, and, and twist it Shoot, uh, shoot at du peloton Cycling podcast team car at the back of the pack please that's said PK, the voice of Radio Tour at the Tour de France, interrupting our Vuelta coverage to remind us to tell you that this episode is sponsored by Beer 52. Now, as a listener of the show, you can get a case of craft beer from the USA on us. Um, sounds great. All you have to do is go to beer52.com forward slash cycle and cover the £5.95 postage and they'll deliver eight delicious craft beers to your door. And I believe, Lionel, you have had eight delicious craft beers delivered to your door. I have, yeah. Uh, I'm glad you said I've had eight delicious craft beers delivered to my door rather than I believe you've had eight delicious craft beers. I haven't yet. I'm just about to crack this one open. Uh, this oh, is from wow. The, this is from live the, opening. <laughs> this is from the Temperance Brewery. Uh, all these beers come from Chicago or the... Uh, the state of Illinois or the sort of greater Chicago area this month uh, each different month selection could come from anywhere in the world um, but it's 
Illinois beers this month and this particular one is called Karaoke Tears. Now I'm absolutely the world's worst at karaoke. I've got several humiliating stories about my own uh, experiences with karaoke that I won't go on everybody with now on. Oh, no, they're just they make my face go hot now even 25 years on. Um, maybe maybe in a friend special. <laughs> anyway, it's called Karaoke Tears and it's an India pale ale, hazy, so I'm expecting hmm well, that's that's refreshing and fresh and light flavored um perfect for the end of a a warm day at the welter it's not been terribly warm here but um that will go down a treat um and well if there's crosswinds tomorrow they're quite appropriate a beer from the windy city someone asked whether you drinking beer on the podcast was the slow radio segment uh, it isn't uh, it's, a, it's a little bonus no um, if, if it goes on too long it be, might become slur radio but you know i'm, yeah, I'm slur uh, radio. I, I i enjoy my beer in moderation on the uh, on the day of a scottish stage win at the welter really we should be drinking tenant super um but but Beer 52 is a Scottish uh, company. They're from Edinburgh. And their experts are on a mission to find the very best beer anywhere on the planet. Each month they visit a different place and find the best small batch breweries, sample their beer, and then carefully create a case to be sent to their members. Um, you can you can select the beers that you like. If you don't like dark beer, you can choose a light option. Um, and the case that you get includes the award-winning beer magazine Ferment and two tasty snacks to wash down with the beer it used to be one now it's two um you can if you sign up to beer 52 and find that it's not for you you can pause or cancel anytime just go to beer 52.com forward slash cycle to claim your free case now that's beer 52.com forward slash cycle b double e r five two dot com forward slash cycle well we've spoken about the the GC battle, I suppose, and the, the Roglic movie star Bernal situation. But um, a great story written by Storer today uh, in winning the stage. I mean, he is a writer you've spoken about a bit over the years. I think you first encountered him at the Tour de Yorkshire a few years ago, Daniel. And um, obviously talented, but it's taken a long time for that talent to really come to fruition. I remember speaking when we did our sunweb special dsm special at the start of this year um that uh, quite a few people spoke about michael stores having been a, a project a long-term project and nicholas roach said that his first ever race for sunweb in his first ever race his job in the race was to help michael store with his positioning in the bunch there was no talk of going for a result or anything. It was all about helping Michael Stewart with his positioning in the bunch. Matt Winston spoke a bit about that as well. Um, he's been a long-term project for that for them, and, and, and that's come good finally. And I guess the sad note to it for them is that he's leaving the team at the end of the year. Just when they've got him to this point, he's moving on to Grupama FTG for next year, which I think was a bit of a surprise to some people. But, um, yeah, he's... Uh, He's a he's a powerful rider, isn't he, Daniel? And he's had to, he was clearly a raw a raw talent when they took him on, and they they've polished him into a fine diamond. Does that work? Yeah, he's been talked about, touted for for a long time as a big talent. Someone, well, this phrase we always hear, this expression we always hear, is having a massive engine. Um, you mentioned that tour, the Yorkshire in 2018, which is his first year as a pro. Um, he, funnily enough, he 
he was beaten on an uphill finish there, I think I mentioned it yesterday, by Magnus Court uh, Nielsen, which was, was probably the first time I'd seen Magnus Court climb that well, um, and, and Stora was close behind him. And one of the most surprising things about Stora was just physically he did not in any way look like a climber. Um, you know, riders that age usually do have a bit of puppy fat and... Michael Storer didn't really have a lot of definition in his legs, but obviously, you know, could produce a lot of watts with them. And it, there have been ups and downs, I think, since then with him. Um, there was the the infamous um, time trial in the Vuelta Espana when he took a teammate, I think it was Jai Hindley's bike, and out of the the starting hut, and the, the, he had to stop after a few kilometres to to swap the bike back. And that was a kind of funny incident for us watching, but I don't think it was particularly amusing for people in the team. And there was the incident last year when he was disciplined because he left the team bubble during a training camp to go and buy some shampoo. But I thought that at the Vuelta last year, the Vuelta España, he was really coming good. There were a couple of days when he was in breaks. There was one in particular on the state of La Farapona when he was with Mark Donovan and narrowly missed out on a stage win there and then this summer he well has brought it all together or the team has helped him bring everything together and he won the Tour de la uh, a couple of weeks ago or three or four weeks ago after this training camp in Austria that the, the long training camp that DSM had with Bardet was there I think Chris Hamilton was there a couple of their other climbers were there which really seems to have given them a, a hard reset and you know they've had a flurry of victories since then from riders who were at that training camp Richard uh, Storer was born in Perth not Perth in Scotland but Perth in Australia but what <laughs> what's the Scottish connection he lived in Glasgow for not much more than a few months, I think. I think he had a girlfriend in Glasgow. Is that right, Daniel? I've just, I've, <laughs> I've just doing a bit of Googling. Uh, two, that's it. 2008. I mean, that's enough, as you say. As you All you say, have to Richard. do is visit Scotland to be, <laughs> to be claimed as Scottish. Uh, yeah, no, he lived there. He legitimately lived there. He posted pictures of himself riding some very famous roads the rest and be thankful well, on the way to Danoon that kind of thing I found something from a bit of a, so, Goog- a, bit of a Google he's got, he's got tartan blood running through yeah. his veins in, in 2018 uh, his first year with Sunweb uh, I found a blog written by Jonathan Fowles uh, about the John Gordon Memorial Road Race a national B road race in Scotland uh, which Jonathan Fowles raced and uh, Michael Storer turned up and um, and won it with a, a series of a series of attacks before finally <laughs> break, breaking everybody's spirit and riding away to the finish. Quite an ent- I would hope so. Quite an, enter- I would hope so. quite an entertaining blog because uh, Jonathan Fowles, <laughs> just to give him a, a credit, said we got within a hundred meters and I started to vomit in my mouth a little bit. Disgusting, I know. <laughs> but with help from the other two, we made it. I mean, that's that's a sort of insight into what it's like racing with a, a world tour pro, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, Carlos Verona and Pavel Sivakov probably are going to write, <laughs> write, write similar blogs now. Um, can, I, can I just, um, this is a, a, a real um, digression, but just a, a quick postscript on that um, that special we did on, on Team DSM at the start of the year. One of our listeners um, really liked what Ivan Speckenbrink said in it, liked the cut of his jib, got in touch to tell him that, 
and has ended up with a job with the team as a mechanic. Extraordinary. Uh, yeah. We're hoping to follow up on that um, at some point. But he's wor- he's currently working for the team as a mechanic, having got in touch with Ivan Speckenbrink directly after that episode. So there you go. I mean, it listen was, it to was the Cycling Podcast. Become a friend of the Cycling <laughs> Podcast, and you could end up working the World Tour. <laughs> Thecyclingpodcast.com. Just on DSM, though, I mean, it was shaping up to be a, a, a pretty poor year for them, wasn't it? Until um, last month, and uh, Stora's stage win and overall victory in the Tour de Laine. And since then, um, things have picked up significantly for them. Bardet got a win, Nikias Arndt won a stage in Poland, and, and now a, a, the big one, um, a, a welter stage win. But, you know, today was reminiscent, I thought, of Sunweb's best days last year. You know, numbers up the road, clearly some sort of plan. I mean, on the one hand, you could say, well, they played a blinder, as, as I did at the start. But, you know, on the other hand, um, almost desperation, getting getting five riders up the road just to to um you know have have numbers i mean it was obviously it was a big break but still getting five men in it is no mean feat we sometimes see these big breaks and teams have missed it entirely um but uh, you know once they had the riders in there they still had to work out a way to whittle down the numbers and 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 store did very very well i thought as i say he was you know, he was all. It's only when you realise he was the winner at the end that it put into um, uh, perspective the fact that he was um, very aggressive throughout. He made it happen. He didn't just follow people. And uh, well, what about the the, the moment with Sivakov? Um, because yeah, whether it was whether it was um, deliberately timed or not, he Stora did attack when Sivakov had a problem with his bike uh, on the penultimate climb, didn't he? You mentioned. Uh, team DSM getting five riders into the break uh, Lionel before we hear from Sivakov about what he thought of that move when Story accelerated should we just hear from Chris Hamilton another DSM rider about exactly how they got so many riders in the break today and also a little bit more about Stora Chris every team would like to have five riders in a breakaway you managed to do it how how do you get that many riders in a breakaway on a day like today it was yeah, I, everyone was just committed. Um, I mean, yeah, yesterday we would have liked to have someone in the move, uh, but yeah, we missed out. And we knew, you know, today is, has always had a bit of a circle around it because such a crazy day and a, it's, you know, generally a big group's going to go and it's quite hard to control. So the five of us that have been given the task to, to try and be in the break, I mean, we were all... <laughs> We were all really committed and I guess everyone's in really good shape and yeah, it just, <laughs> I think it was n- never quite the plan to have all five of us in there, but yeah, when we're there <laughs> and when we can be there, why not? And we know a few things about Michael. We know he had a, a period living in Glasgow, which is a very unusual place for a cyclist. We remember the incident in the Vuelta a couple of years ago where he took Jai Hindley's bike. And we also know that he's got this incredible engine, but as, as his countryman, and tell us a, a couple of other things about Michael. Oh, he's just, you know, he's a quiet guy. Uh, yeah, wouldn't harm a fly, but just has <laughs> has more horsepower than he knows what to do with. I mean, yeah, I've, I've been on the team with him for now for for four years, and yeah, he just he's always been a guy that's just had these these moments of brilliance, and uh, it's taken some experience and you know uh, some time for it all to come together. And then this year, it's you know every, everything's yeah every, everything's really clicked for him. That was Chris Hamilton, who played a really important role uh, today. I thought in, in you know softening up the break, helping set up Storer, and I, and I guess a lot of 
riders in that move were really watching Bardet. Um, pretty impressive, I thought, for him to be up the road a couple of days after his crash. Um, just another little point on this five riders in the, in one break. Martin Tusfeldt uh, said to Eurosport at the finish that at one point earlier in the race, they had eight riders in the break. That's the whole team. Uh, I don't know how big the break was. Well, um, maybe the break but, was just a peloton. I mean, technically, everyone yeah, starts Everyone starts with their whole team in the break, don't they? Once the flag drops. Well, but <laughs> yeah, I guess. I don't think that's what he meant, though, Lionel. <laughs> um, Speaking of to confusion, pa- chaps, just before we move on quickly, I'll just scuttle live into Corrections Corner. I don't think it was Jai Hindley's bike that Stora took in that time trial in... Uh, Tori La Vega I think it might have been Johannes Frölinger or Simon Geschkes it definitely wasn't Max Valscheids although he was also riding for no I would hope not <laughs> at the time I mean that would be ludicrous um, can I add a, a corrections corner from last night while we're on corrections corners King Kenny Ellison doesn't live in Nice anymore he lives in Andorra somebody told us on Twitter so there we go um, you spoke to Pavel Sivakov as well at the finish. He's our audio diarist, of course. We'll get his um, his his full account of what happened today. A big day for him, and he's in the King of the Mountains jersey now in his audio diary. That will be our next kilometre zero. But um, he, well, emotions were still running quite high at the finish when you spoke to him, Daniel. Yes, they were, Rich, and he spoke first about that moment when, well, he seemed to be undone by a mechanical problem at first and then later by Michael Storer simply having the better legs. Yeah, I was, uh, I was not so good to, to drop the chain there. I had to do a, a massive sprint to come back on Storer and I also saw he attacked at that point. I was looking back, looking back, and then came back. Yeah, I, uh, I caught him and uh, he, was, he wasn't too keen to pull, so I was a bit, I was a bit angry on him and... I mean, at the end, he, he was probably feeling better than me in the last time anyway, but uh, that was not too fair play from him. Pavel, we didn't think there'd be an Ineos rider in the break today. Um, was there a change of heart, a change of mind from the directors, or how did you end up in there? I mean, it was a massive group going, and we, had, we, we thought, like, OK, if there is a big group going, we need a, we need a number there in. So, yeah, I went there, and then just, yeah, they didn't, they didn't call me back, so... Yeah, stayed there and uh, went, tried to go for the victory. <laughs> it was a good effort, a bit, maybe a bit too much of an effort. Uh, yeah, bit, got a bit too carried away. <laughs> it was a long time uh, that I was in that position. So, yeah, I mean, I did my best. Uh, yeah, I was feeling great today. I think it's good for for the, the rest of the race. We're also with numbers at the start. Um, so, no, I think it's, it's looking good. Science in Sport is supporting the cycling podcast at the Vuelta España. Science in Sport, fueled by science. Thank you very much indeed to Science and Sport for their continued support of the cycling podcast. We're very grateful indeed to them. Um, if you want 25% off all your Science and Sport goodies, go to scienceandsport.com and enter the code SISCP. 25. One of our most loyal listeners is the Science and Sport Chief Executive Stephen Moon and inevitably he got in touch today having listened to last night's episode and he's fully on board with the Ham Croquetta Energy Bakes. Excellent. He thinks that, uh, clearly thinks that could work. I'm sure he's got his people working on it already. Um, so look out for the Ham Croquetta Energy yeah, Bakes. I, I would definitely go for that. Always a part in every ride when you crave something savoury, isn't there? 
Well, they're certainly is for me anyway. Then I, then I crave something sweet. Then is I crave a, something savoury again. Yeah. yeah. Is there is there any part of the ride where you're not craving something either sweet or savoury? Very few. Very few kilometres pass by well, without me thinking about what and when to eat. Yeah. I mean, just to just to mix up our um, our, our sponsors here. Um, you know, wearing the Super Sapiens device uh, for me on rides just tells me that I tend to underfuel and that I should be packing more in mm. so there you go um anyway thank you once again to science and sport we're very grateful to them for their support and uh and also very grateful to Stephen for his feedback on our suggested uh, product lines <laughs> uh, any other odds and sods from today chaps i mean uh, it was a case today of um some moving up some moving down some looking you know whether the likes of Felix Groschartner, Jack Haig, um, Sepp Kuss, who benefited from being in that breakaway today, whether they can back that up. You know, the form so far suggests perhaps not. But some of the riders who we expected um, to shine today, I guess, you know, slightly disappointing day for Alexander Vlasov, who's been a bit of a yo-yo in this race. And Mikael Landa. Uh, I expected on a climb like that, Landa to really come into his own. Um on the other hand, Adam Yates, I thought, looked very good today. Um, Bernal's just been solid as a rock, hasn't he? He's been totally consistently there. Um, it's funny you say yeah. that about Lander, Rich, because it should have suited him. Because I, the more Vuelta stages I see, the more convinced I am that the Vuelta is not Mikel Lander's ideal race. And if there is mm. a Grand Tour that Mikel Lander is suited to, it's the Giro d'Italia with, you know, climbs of... 15 to 20, yeah. 25 kilometers where there's no huge fight into the bottom. I mean, I thought that was, regardless of form, I thought that was pretty clear yesterday, not just with Lander, but a few other riders, that it was the it was mm. the, the sprint into the bottom that killed them. And I thought it was a great example yesterday. You know, we often see whole teams go to the front and, and ride all day to try to make the race hard for their leader until a lay person that might seem like a quite a baffling tactic um you know why is it that by by making the race hard all day you favor you, the best climber in the race well i thought yesterday was a good example of that that it, it the climb did so much more damage because the previous 50 or 60 kilometers had been had been hard and consequently the the time gaps were just bigger you know the, the the first best guy was was that much better than the second best guy and the third best guy and we saw we saw huge margins for for such a small climb yesterday just on gross chart rich i mean he's a danger man though i mean ninth last year in the welter without being outside the top 10 all the way through the race. I mean, he was, he started off well. It was, in fact, only on the last uh, stage or two that he that he faltered and slipped from, I think, seventh to ninth. And in this welter, you know, he's kind of perhaps a bit below par at Picon Blanco. He's, interestingly, he was in the same group as Jack Haig on that stage. Um, but at Cuyera yesterday, he was 10th, kind of best of the rest, really. And then obviously um, allowed into that break to, to claw back uh, all but eight seconds of his uh, deficit on Primoz Roglic. I think that's a that's a he's a dangerous guy just to let back into the you know such close proximity to the red jersey. And uh, well, we'll we'll see the next time we have a, a, a significant stage with climbing in. It's a different different beast, isn't it? Riding uh, up the road in the break, um, gaining all day, and and knowing that 
that uh, that, that everything's going your way to um, hanging tough in the GC favourites group as it gets whittled down on a on a final climb. Those are two very different uh, challenges. So um, not getting carried away, but a, you know a dark horse to let back into the picture. I think same with Jack Haig, who um, so far looks the best bet for Bahrain victorious. What's on the menu tomorrow then, Daniel? A bit of a change of pace tomorrow. Well, so we'll be going to La Manga and I will have to restrain myself because La Manga, of course, is famous for its golf courses as a golf resort, generally frequented by ageing football, um, former British football stars like Rodney Marsh and Kevin Keegan. King, King Kenny Dalglish. King, yeah, traditionally, traditionally. Um, but the paradise between two seas is... The, the the slogan that the local tourist board use i'm not sure how apt that is but it's, it's held well to stages before it held the prologue in 1980 that was won by roberto vicentini freddie martins won stage one to la manga in 1977 and tomorrow there could be some wind um again it's it's pretty flat and pretty exposed tomorrow so that will be interesting i should also chaps just just provide a little footnote to last night i said that i suspected i had inflicted a, a, a rather length, lengthy detour on my traveling companion and that proved to be the case we stayed in a place called shatiwa um all the names here are in valencian dialect which is very similar to catalan so it begins with an x very difficult to pronounce but a beautiful place with a castle um you know overlooking the overlooking the town i did a couple of a couple of ascents of the the climb up to the castle this morning ran up there but we were a long long way from gandia where the start was so there were some mea culpas um issued mm. issued this morning but we did have a nice pot of wine so um we had a lovely usually this I morning for, usually i go for the not this morning not this morning <laughs> usually i go for this is a return of the wine chat because i'm, I'm i noticed some that we'd received some messages there's always a bit of a push pull who does and who doesn't like the wine chat and we try and keep it brief but last night usually i go for the, the local grape varieties um the try and keep it as as sort of authentic and local as possible um it would have been a bob out yesterday it was that kind of country i think but i went for cabernet sauvignon and it was excellent uh venta del puerto number 12 excellent opportunity as well to to plug our vuelta wine collection that you can buy from divine sellers of course um any any of the wines in that collection uh featuring on the route in the next couple of days daniel i just mentioned the bobal and we were we were certainly in bobal country yesterday um at the start in fact uh requena and um, there'll be more coming in the next few days. Although, and when we, I did, I did broach this with Greg of Divine Cellars when we had our pre-Vuelta wine discussion. That we we haven't really got too much in in the second week. Um, it's very much a backloaded um, cycling podcast wine selection this year. Is that because I was out for the sort of some of the first weekend, all of the final week? <laughs> yes, that's right. Is it with me? With me in mind. Excellent. Well, let's uh, reconvene tomorrow night. Um, safe travels, Daniel, and happy eating and drinking. Thank you, chaps. Thank you, Lionel. Thanks, chaps. Que nos vamos de-